kingdom of heaven is like a preacher who sat down with a passage to write a sermon from and ended up in a completely different place than expected. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray that you will open us up to your word in unexpected ways and fill us with your love so that it may take root in our lives and that we may grow branches big enough to care for others in Christ's name. Amen. This morning's passage comes to us, um, believe it or not, not from Genesis. Uh, having preached on Genesis for four weeks, um, I was thirsty, and many of you were too, to get back to uh, the New Testament as well as uh, some stories about Jesus. And today's lectionary comes to us from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. It's really all of verses 1 through 23, in spite of what it says in your bulletin. Hear the word of the Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has that, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not really see, and though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. They might understand with their hearts and turn. Then I would heal them. But blessed are you, are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you did and what you see, but, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. 
Now listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. The setting for this scene in the passage couldn't have been written better even if Hollywood was not on strike. One morning, maybe middle of the day, like looking for some quiet time in prayer, Jesus goes down to the shoreline at the Sea of Galilee and sat down to pray. Someone noticed them, him there and tweeted where he was, and everyone stopped doing what they were doing and found their way to the, to the shore because they wanted every single minute and piece of Jesus they could get. He was a different kind of rabbi than they knew. He healed the sick and he forgave sinners. He preached in new and, and, and deeper ways about God and God's kingdom. And he also, he also raised the dead. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Then you flash back on this scene to what led to this moment by the seashore. And, for, and when we read the Gospel of Matthew, we know that, well, we don't really know in the Gospel, but it makes it clear. Matthew brings Jesus into the story as an adult. That is to say around 30 years old. And during that time, Jesus has worked as a carpenter, or the word is techne, a technician, um, a contractor. He plumbed, he carpentered, he, he did masonry, he did all kinds of contractor stuff. And in that period, it says that he grew in wisdom and faith and compassion for God's people during those 30 years. We think, oh, I don't know, maybe we don't, but in, in the old days, before the Enlightenment, uh, we used to think Jesus was born as an adult, fully formed with all the wisdom and knowledge that God has right out of the womb. But the Bible never says that. It says that he grew in faith and knowledge. It says it clearly in Luke's gospel. And then Matthew goes on to say that this one named John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness and he was baptizing all the people who came out to them, a baptism of, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And, and the Baptist was saying, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. And then Jesus shows up, the very one that the Baptist is talking about to be baptized by John, also for a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And as soon as Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit plucks him out of there and 
shoves him into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tested uh, by the devil over what kind of Messiah he would be, one of power or one of service, a warrior Messiah or a suffering servant Messiah. After passing the test and finding his medal, Jesus began then his public ministry by calling first his four disciples, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and James and John. And then he went around the region of Galilee, up by the Sea of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues. Apparently he had been, he had been anointed a rabbi to do this. He was teaching in synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and healing had come upon everyone there. That's when his fame began to spread like wildfire. People from all over, the blind, the deaf, the lame, the diseased, and all those who had relatives with that, or anyone else who was just curious, all made their way to him. But instead of opening a hospital for the body, he opened one for the sin-sick soul by climbing a mountain and preaching his first recorded sermon in Matthew, known as the Sermon of the Mount, beginning with the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And he went on to preach in a way that went to meddling in people's lives in this mountain sermon, saying, do not judge others or you will be judged tenfold. Take that baseball bat out of your eye before you blame your neighbor about the toothpick in theirs. In other words, Jesus got real specific, down to the lick log, my father used to say. And it caused some to pull back. Turns out the good news Jesus proclaimed was good news for those who were on the outs and who were told they were not part of God's kingdom and, and love and salvation, but it really wasn't so good news for the leaders and the rulers and all the people who thought they were at the top because in every case it calls their own topness and powerness into question as it does with us. Then after this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes about through all the towns and cities and heals all who come to him and he continues to proclaim the kingdom of God is near. And knowing he needs help, he calls eight other disciples and sends them out to do what he was doing. And it turns out that the more he taught and the more he healed, even on the Sabbath, he became while at one time more popular, also more suspicious. He even healed a Roman officer's child. You don't do that. The leaders of the synagogue knew that. He healed people on Sunday. On, no, not Sunday, on the Sabbath. Sorry, Saturday. You don't do that. And all the while, Jesus was trying to bring the message that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, had come near. And that in him and through him, we would be able to see what the kingdom of God was all about. And that in him and through him, we would be able to see that that kingdom was for everyone. Every single person, righteous 
or unrighteous, regardless of who you are or what you've done, what you think you are or are not, regardless of any of it, regardless of your status or your morality, regardless of any of it, the kingdom of God has come near to you because God wants you, us, each of us, to know that we are a part of it, even still. Now the plot is becoming clear. A crisis is being built between those who had the worldly power and wanted a king who would only help increase it, and Jesus who came to bring a different kind of kingdom, kingdom of love and peace and justice and mercy and forgiveness, the kingdom of God that is in this world but not of it. And with all that as the setting in Matthew's gospel, we rejoin sitting and Jesus sitting on the beach alone, trying to figure out how to go forward because he's reached a roadblock. Those who had ears could hear him, but those who did not have ears were completely as deaf as a stone. They would not hear or listen or understand, especially the religious people. And so when sitting there, he decides to change the process of the way he taught. His method of teaching from didactic, which was more direct and confrontational, to parabolic. That is, he began to tell stories, parables. I know people say, Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am. But the truth is that when the truth comes to us in a less direct way. In stories and parables, we are more prone to hear them and to listen. So they all showed up, and Jesus, knowing enough physics to know that sound travels over water, summons a boat and goes out and sits in it enough offshore so that when he spoke, his voice would carry over the sea out to the people on shore. And he began to teach them many things, it says in Matthew, in parables, saying, this is, this is a strong listen here. Listen! Sounds like Charles Stanley, doesn't it? Listen! Okay. A sower went out to sow, he said. Sowed his seeds everywhere, indiscriminately on hard paths, on rocky soil, on ground that was covered with thorns, and even some of the seed fell on deep, rich soil. All kinds of soil got seeded, but the one with deep and rich soil produced 160, 30-fold, 30 times what was sown. And then he capped it off with the invitation for all of us, with anyone who has ears, let him hear. Now you would think the disciples would have ears by now. In fact, it clearly states it, but apparently they don't. They're like us, still trying to fumble around with what all this means. And so they question him, what is this new kind of speaking in parables? 
What are you doing? And Jesus shared that, well, the insiders already kind of understand what the kingdom of God is, is about, but those on the outside who can't hear as clearly have blocked hearing and sight. They don't get it. And so I'm speaking to them in parables so that seeing, they do finally perceive because they don't now. And hearing, they do finally hear because they do not listen now. Because I'm hoping, he says, that they too will get the kingdom of heaven as I sowed this seed of love and grace, even though their hearts are hard. Now, I, I find myself, God, what am I supposed to do with this parable? Man, I just struggled with this because I've heard it preached so many times about how we're supposed to be like the good soil and not like the not like that brittle, hard shell of a soil, like people walk on the path all the time and tramp it down, and, and the seed doesn't even have any root, uh, soil to take root, and not like, not like that, you know, that rocky soil where uh, it, 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 it jumps up, but we get all enthusiastic and over-enthusiastic and dive in, but then after things get hard, we, we quit, or not like that thorny soil that all the things in life and anguish and worry come in and invade our lives and we, we just get tangled up in it and just lose sight of who we are and what we're supposed to be like that good soil. I've heard that sermon. I can't do it. As hard as I've tried, I cannot become that kind of soil at least not like that. And what I think Jesus is doing with this, and this is why I don't particularly like those kinds of didactic sermons, is because what Jesus wants us to hear in this parable is this huge confrontational provocation that blows our minds and our lives into a whole new world of seeing and understanding truth and what matters and every parable Jesus tells is just this, a provocation that confronts us with a truth from the ground up, not from the head down, and challenges us to change our lives, or at least start it, and to change the way we see the world and others in it. I was sitting at lunch recently listening in on a conversation in the booth behind me about a young mother and her teenage, uh, behind me from a young mother and her teenage daughter. And the young lady was lamenting about how lonely she felt at school, about how she felt so unpopular. She said she felt like a nerd, an outcast. She didn't know what to do. And her mother tried to make it better by telling her, using scripture, that she was indeed a child of God, a daughter of God made in God's image. Convince her daughter that God loved her and regardless of what her friends said that she was a child of God that nobody could ever take away. She said, remember your baptism always. You were baptized a child of God. That's what gives you worth. 
And I thought, man, that is just a wild, that's such a good way for her to talk to her daughter and give her some sense of worth that she didn't seem to have. But I could tell from what her daughter said next that her mom had missed it. All that's true, of course. All that's true and needs to be said, but only in the right place. Because to her daughter, it felt a little sanctimonious, her mother preaching from the Bible to her. What she really needed, I think, was her mother just to sit with her and to listen to her, to be present with her, and to hear her, and to say, that must be awful. She needed a mother who would not try to fix it right then and there, but to be open to it by being present. It's hard when you're a parent, but that's, I think, what she needed because she told her mother that. She said, Mom, I appreciate that, but that's not helpful. I just need you to listen to me. Reminds me of something I read Abraham Heschel said. He was the great Jewish mystic rabbi. He said, you can never change anyone by throwing words at them like sticks and stones, by directly confronting them with facts, for instance, with do's and don'ts. The only way we change is by being in relationship with someone who is authentically real and loving and then we want to be like them. Is it possible that Jesus has come to a turning point in his own life, that he's grown to a place to understand this too, and so he turns to parables on a global scale as a, as a way to enable others who had grown deaf to hear, maybe even us, that he knew that there was no answer or words that he could say to fix it or to convince anybody that the kingdom of God had drawn near. But in writing and geniusly creating these little parables, he opens up a new possibility, a provocative possibility that, that frees us from what we thought was true and, and allows us to begin to see something brand new in the deeper part of our souls. That Jesus is changing here too, just like he hopes we do in this parabolic teaching. Now I know that's heretical, but hey, I'm an interim. <laughs> I'm not worried about job security. We have heard this preach taught, this parable preached and taught so many ways. It just, but I got to tell you, there's no good news in it. And hasn't been for me until I recently, I recently was finally old enough to see something. Yeah, we all need to do a little gardening. We need to loosen the hard shells that we protect ourselves with, that we cover ourselves so people won't step on our hurt feelings. And we need to pick up all the stones in our way that keep tripping us, our resentments and our 
anger and our addictions and our anxieties and compulsions. Yeah, I know that we need to pull up the thorns in our life, the vents and memories of hurt and loss, self-defeat that keeps stabbing our guts like a bougainvillea vine. Those thorny things like if people really knew who I was, they'd never like me. I'll never amount to anything. I'll never forgive myself. You know those thorns? Yes, we need, to, we need to get rid of those. We know this. But knowledge does not change us. It doesn't. Especially when someone tells us what to do and how to do it. The kingdom of God has come near, Jesus said. And what he is saying is, The kingdom of God is like a sower who went out to sow and cast his seed on every place. The path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the rich soil. And what that seed was that was being cast was the grace and love of God that was thrown out to us indiscriminately indiscriminately God's free grace given to every single state and condition of us deservedly so or not that's the good news it's about the sower not about the soils and yes in discovering this good news it should go to the depth the soily deep part of us where that can take root and we can grow by the grace of God into something more and more like what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like Jesus. And sometimes life will come to us like a giant backhoe and start digging us up, or even a stick of dynamite. Our whole lives are blown up with some tragic accident or some event, and you wake up lost and and in despair and scared and wondering what this is all about. And, and the more you hang in there with it, the more you ask yourself the question, what am I supposed to learn from this? Not why did it happen, but what do I do next? And in asking that question, we begin to dig a little deeper into the soil of who we are, and then we get finally enough soil for that seed of God's grace to take root. It just takes every now and then a hoe or a shovel. When I first went into seminary, I had no idea now why I got in, but I did by the grace of God. I needed all the honor and authority and, and academic training I could muster to learn how to look like and be and sound like a preacher especially my mentor, the preacher who, who gave me the whole idea of the kingdom of God, this really crazy mixed up preacher named H. Lewis Patrick at Trinity Presbyterian Church who Will Willimon from Duke Chapel says had the mellifluous voice of God. <laughs> so my first preaching class comes up and and we're supposed to just preach on any passage we pick for, for just five minutes at preaching class. And, 
I picked the passage about Jesus being baptized and then going out into the wilderness uh, and to be tempted for 40 days. And and, uh, it turns out that uh, my first temptation was uh, the growing edge of becoming a clergy person. And over and over I read this passage over and over out loud, trying to get the same resonance, the same cadence, the same sound as Dr. Patrick. Finally willing to go public, I asked Nancy, my wife, first wife, to listen to it and She did, and looking back, I now know that she was being kind enough to keep a straight face and not break out laughing. (laughs) I'm so proud of you, she said. I'm so proud of what you're doing and so proud of the work you're doing. Um, But I need to ask, why why are you trying to sound like somebody else? Are you trying to sound like Dr. Patrick? Uh huh. Was it that bad? No, it wasn't so much bad, she said. It was just that it wasn't you. You don't need to sound like Dr. Patrick. You just need to sound like you. Just find your voice and sound like you. Well, good luck with that. I am here to say to you that I've been preaching almost 40 years and I'm still learning how to do that. Jesus only took 30 years. It is a long process for the seed of God's grace and love to take root in our lives. And it is a long, arduous process for us to begin to really hear and see what that fruit is about. I'm learning it. I guess that's why I'm still doing this. Because I still hear Jesus' voice say, let those who have ears hear. For some of us, it takes a little more time than others. But the promise is still, still a yield of 160 or 30, an exorbitant yield from the fruit of our becoming. Let us pray. O God who indiscriminately loves us, who throws your love and grace at us always, help us begin to receive it and to be be groaned by it. In Christ's name, amen.